Hello, everyone. Welcome to Wrestling with the Future. This is the return of Jim Fife. Hello, everybody. I'm Angelo DeCipio. Welcome to the show. We got a great show tonight. Dan, the man, I'm going to forego the normal intros. Let's just get into talking to each other. Dan, the man, Sebastiano, the happy haberdasher. Of <laughs> course, our guest of honor, Jim Fife, former actor, presentation coach, improv coach, man about town, good-looking guy. He doesn't need to do anything. He's just too pretty to work. And my dear, dear friend, Nikita Brezhnikov, actor, wrestler, uh, spokesperson. Um, uh, oh, I forgot the best part, Nikki. Best-selling author. Aye, book, aye, aye. When it was real. Thank you. And thank I should have had your book, Nikki. I forgot to take your book out. Damn it. There it is. There it There's is. The always book. close by. Just my like copy's on my desk. <laughs> my copy's on my desk, Nikki. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> so uh, let me just before we go any further, and I uh, we're just going to have fun tonight. We're going to have a good time. Uh, I in error, I mentioned that Jim Fife was in Ghostbusters two as Scalari brother number one. That uh, is not true factually. However, it is also factually true that you are listed on the IMDb credits as being in Ghostbusters. That's right. I found out the actor's name. He is an uncredited actor whose name is, you're going to love this. I'm not even playing, Jim. I'm not even playing. His name is James Fye, F-Y-E. I can't, I promise you. That explains it. I promise you. Yeah, that totally explains why. I mean, you know, because the the IMDb. No, I have no idea who that guy is. Um, He's an uncredited. You know, I uh, I have the same name as a guy. There's a James Fife who was like a famous criminologist, a criminal psychologist. So every once in a while, when there would be like some mass murder or something, I would get a call and they'd be saying, Hello, this is uh, ABC News. Is this uh, Jim Fife? I'm like, yeah, it is. We'd like to interview you tonight on the news. I'm like, well, it's about freaking time. <laughs> about time. I got a lot to say. And then you say, yeah, we want to talk to you about these murders. I'll talk about murders. I got a lot of stuff to say about murders, <laughs> this, that. And they're like, okay, great. Just checking. You are the James Fife who teaches at like wherever. And you are the author of right? And I was like, well, no, no, I'm not. I'm not. Click. <laughs> and that happened about three times I so this poor it. guy jim Fye, is probably he probably gets a call Fresh. once every 25 years <laughs> from somebody who thinks he's oh me God. that's crazy jim that's crazy that's funny we are going to talk tonight we're gonna have a little fun uh, I wanted Nikita here because Nikita brings an interesting perspective. Nikita is, uh, he, he's actually, Jim, to, to backtrack for just a sec. Nikita's the gentleman to whom I referred previously uh, on the show um, who had an audition and the casting director said to Nikki, uh, what kind of acting experience do you had? And he rattled off his wrestling credits. And she says, well, that's not acting. So, Nikki, you want to tell uh, Jim what you told uh, that lady? A little adjustment. Yeah, go ahead. She was a dialogue coach, Jim. Oh, dialogue. I'm sorry. Yeah. uh, Brush with danger. So, you know, we're talking on going over the script, blah, blah, blah. 
So she says, well, you know, you have a good voice, Nikita. What the, what theater experience do you have? I said, well, pro wrestling. You know, she's like, oh, no, no, no. No, that's got nothing to do with Shakespeare. This was Jeannie Hackett, who's a big L.A. guru. God rest her soul. She passed away a couple of months ago with uh, whatever. I'm not going to go into that. But, you know, so she, she and I clashed on that. I'm like, <laughs> Jeannie, I'm in front of a crowd. I only got one take, Jake. If I screw it up, somebody's right. going to probably beat the hell out of me when I get in the back room, right. in the locker room. And there we are. We're doing what we do. And she's like, no, 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 no. That is not considered theater. But there is a book called Theater in a Squared Circle. And it. I love the title. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what we have. It's yeah. a, What we do is a production. Sure. It's a sports and, entertainment production. And, you know, for a thousand years, this is my history teacher coming out, between about 500 Good. A.D. and about just after 1500 A.D., there were no theaters built in Europe. None. Yeah. OK. And so where but people still saw performance and where did they see it? They, they saw almost all of it, unless you were one of the few very wealthy, you saw it in the public square. And it mm -hmm. would be anything right. from Commedia dell'arte troops in Italy who are improvising stories. Everybody yeah. plays the same character pretty much throughout their whole career. And mm -hmm. you just improvise stuff and throw in mentions of the local mayor and the local famous people or whatever. But also tumblers, you know. Uh, 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 performing acrobats and stuff. It was all the same thing. Absolutely. And it was all taking place in the public where everybody could see it. So, of course, it's the same damn thing. A absolutely right. And tonight, so we're going to explore, uh, and I want to, Nikki, could be, he brings an interesting perspective. We're going to explore the influence wrestling has had on film, television, and acting in general. We're going to talk a lot tonight about one of my favorite subjects, and Nikki and I have talked about this before, the art of improvising. Given a situation, right. in, whether it's in a ring or on a stage or in front of a camera, be it, be it as it may, the art of taking nothing but a subject or an idea or an attitude and building an entire scene around that. Right. So one of the things, Jim, I wanted to ask you, and I didn't get into asking you the last time you were here, but do you still teach improv class? Do you, are you still? I mean, I was up until COVID hit. Yeah. I mean, I literally had to like, yeah, but I teach uh, here in Nyack, New York. Uh, and um, I've been teaching there for, I've been doing that improv class. First, it was teenagers for about 10 years, and then it was a couple of years off, and then I switched to teaching grown-ups. So, yeah, 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 I've been teaching improv. The idea, school. Jim, of, of uh, improv is to take a situation and, you know, as I said, to build on it, build around it, uh, embellish upon it, mm -hmm. and make it seem as natural as possible yeah. with no script, no dialogue, Sometimes and very often no prop. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, when you have someone who's never been exposed to that element, it's got to be as much a culture shock as um, somebody from the East Coast, you know, walking down Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills. Yeah. You know, you get it's like the bombardment of the senses. Sure. You know, that's true. So you, 
talk to me. Go ahead, Dan. I'm sorry. I was going to say you also have the the uh, audience interaction. I mean, you talked improv. How much of that is, you know, oh, we need a suggestion from the audience. And Nikita, Angelo, they'll tell you. And, and, you know, you look at wrestling history. How many of the biggest moments in wrestling history were called on the fly because of crowd reaction that wasn't a, a expected? Good point. Absolutely. Nikki, you want to take that one? Uh, Dan nailed it because with wrestling, the way it used to be, you got to finish. Okay, this is what we want. You go do it. You guys are two pros. Go figure it out. And how it would be, listen to the crowd, and you'll react from there. Now, Tony Gurria, he uh, mentioned in an article one time, he said he was on his way to the spectrum. It was July uh, or June 4th. or uh, No, he was July 7th of 77 against Superstar. And he said, beautiful day. Nobody's going to be here, you know. But, but the place was packed because we wanted to mm-hmm. see Tony Gurria beat Superstar. So they're like, okay, what are we going to do? They locked up the collar, elbow, lock up, and they're just pushing back and forth. And it's like people are popping. So mm-hmm. Superstar's like, just stay with it. Just stay with it. And they're doing nothing. Basically. Exactly. But people are going crazy. They love it. Exactly. Instead of trying to gouge each other's eyes out or do triple somersaults and all this other crazy stuff. You don't need that because people know because it it sounds like, it sounds like, again, I I don't, I'm not sure I understand the terms, but I think you're saying these two guys were kind of locked onto each other. The basic, the basic. And what what they were doing, what they were doing is they were building the key element Uh of all performance. And that is tension. Exactly. Building tension. And that's where if you can build tension, you know, I often tell kids because, you know, I mean, uh, teaching improv, it, it, I actually I say it to kids and adults. There's two parts to a, a joke, uh, the setup and the payoff. Anybody can pay off the joke. But the, the art of a joke or the art of humor or or, or a, a great moment in an improv scene is that thing. It's tension. Mm-hmm. And you got to it, it, it's you got to have a sense for it. And I think it's because, and again, it, it's funny how the, I know zero about wrestling, as I'm sure is pretty obvious at this point, but that the, the um, so many things are the same. There's got to be something at stake. You don't want to see a wrestling match or an improv scene or anything where it, people are approaching it like, uh, you know, if I lose, it's no big deal. No, no. It, yeah. When in doubt, it's always the same stakes, life or death. That's it. And like Jim, right there is, is the key, is the essence of Nikita's book, When It Was Real. The mm. idea that, yes, we know that wrestling is a dramatic play. It's, it's a play for the senses, okay? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, we, don't, we don't like the word fake. It's predetermined, okay? The outcome is set up. How you get from A to Z is between two guys, yeah. you know? We know that we know what's going to happen at Z, sure. but how you get from A to Z is up to Nikki and whoever he's working with. Right. Um, the tension and Nikki, we talked about this before, you know, in show business, you know, as Jim said, uh, to set up a joke and then the punchline in wrestling, Jim, we call it the go home and the blow off, mm. you know, <laughs> the blow off is. It's literally what it is. It's it's the blow off before the big extravaganza. Um, Nikita brings in an, a really unique set of eyes because he's worked 
on both. film set. Yeah. Uh, and he's also worked, you know, in front of 25, 30,000 people with no script. Uh, sometimes no idea of what he's going to do till he gets there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is improv theater at its absolute purest. Yeah, sure. Right. So, Dan, I'm going to let uh, I'm going to turn it over to you and I want you to navigate the conversation with Nikki and Jim. Okay. Um, walk me through. Uh, walk me through setting up a scene and getting to the blow off to use wrestling terms. Okay. From the setup to the blow off. Well, I mean, obviously, Jim, you know, you know that you have your your storyboards and kind of a basic uh, narrative. It's the same thing with wrestling. We've talked about it a lot on the show, where it, you know the the it's not. I mean, it, unfortunately, today it is, but it's not a full script. You're going to go in, you're going to lock up, you're going to push, punch, you know, move for move for move for move. Sometimes it's a basic narrative, and I'm sure you've seen it on set where I'll say, look, you're over here, you know. Um, you have to get from or, you know, grab him and and look intimidating. I'm not going to tell you specifically what to say, what facial expression to use. Just grab him and look intimidating. It's the same thing in wrestling. You're going to lock up. You're going to you're gonna get the heat, which means, you know, you're going to get the crowd uh, powder out um, and then, you know, uh, distract the ref, blow, blow, whatever. Hit, hit the finish. One, two, three. You know, it, 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 I give you just kind of a, a, a storyboard, basically a couple of scenes. And, and everything in between is filled in by the people in the ring as it goes. And a lot of it has to do with the reactions. And sometimes it has to do with the talent. Like uh, uh, Angela was saying about Nikita or, you know, you go, you're not 100 percent sure if, if somebody's hurt. You might not might be working with somebody you didn't plan on working with that day. So now you got to get a completely different mindset right. or, you know, heaven forbid, in the middle of the match, somebody maybe hurts their leg or tweaks a hamstring or something. Well, I can't do the leg drop anymore. So now we're going to have to fin- come up on the fly, you know, and, and the other thing mm-hmm. I think is really important is you talked about the theater, uh, the public streets yeah. is there's no, there's no curtain in wrestling. You have, you have eyes on all four sides at all times. There's okay. no, there's no, uh, I can hide the, hide the strings. There's no, I, I can duck behind the stage. Uh, you know, you have basically one take to get the best stunt, right with everybody looking at you from all four sides and there's a camera on all four sides of you and when you talk about angela talked about setting the stage and i'm going to bounce this to you is you get you've had scenes i I imagine where you get a very simple direction i'm not going to tell you verbatim what to say what to do how to look i give you a basic direction and then we work it out you and the director you and whoever yeah sure i want to say though that like you know um Again, for a guy who like knows nothing about wrestling and uh, only slightly more about sports in general, I use sports metaphors a lot. And my wife kind of yells at me for that because she's like, <laughs> you know what you're talking about. What are you talking about golf? But here's the thing. <clears throat> um, theater, you know, when you talk about film or television, anything in front of a camera is very unlike that of that you're talking about theater is like that because theater is i often say theater is like football you get out and you go 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 until it's over and win lose or draw and every every actor who's done theater has a million stories about oh my god one time i threw up on stage or like this happened crazy stuff that happens on stage yeah but it is right now whereas film 
And TV is more like golf, which I have done a little bit of, which is like a lot of waiting around for like 22.1 seconds of absolute concentration, followed by another three hours of hanging around. So mm-hmm. it's, it's different in that sense. I have worked with, I worked once, twice with uh, the late, great Robert Altman. I don't know, you know, I mean, oh, it's um, way back. Absolutely. But he was really th- that way. He would put a body mic on everybody in the scene, including like the guy playing the like phone installer guy over in the corner. He'd put a mic on everybody and say like, okay, well, in this scene, you're going to exactly what you said. You say something about this and you, you say, all right, here we go. And that would be it. Um, and But Altman though, Jim, uh, Robert, who I love, by the way, I loved Robert Altman. Robert Altman wasn't afraid to take chances, but he also did something that was singularly unique among directors. He trusted implicitly his actors. He trusted true. them implicitly with yeah. or with, without script. Right. With or without uh, a narrative. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I admired greatly about him is he, he was... He was able to 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 uh, to gather an ensemble group. He had a core group of people. Right. This this uh, uh, you know Fred the late Fred Willard among them, uh, who was absolutely genius at improv, um, and some of the uh, uh, oh god uh, Christopher Guest uh, among I, I'm, now I'm having a you know mm-hmm. brain overload. Um, I think you're thinking but, about the Christopher Guest people, and that's true. And like he improvises, definitely. That's that a lot of that stuff in in the Christopher Guest movies. Well, is, I mean, hell, totally you, you talk you talk about Robert Altman. Just look at the look at the film Mash. I mean, some of the more famous scenes in that movie weren't scripted. Correct. You know, that, he, that's he, right. he allowed that's people to be themselves on set that. and caught magic. Right, and, and that, that requires that a point. huge amount of coordination of like tech people, you know, lighting and sound and everything because. And yeah, you got to have multiple cameras going and stuff like that. He he had a lot of experience when he finally made his breakthrough. He must have been close to 50 because he had done a lot of like industrial films in Kansas City and then episodic TV in L.A. So he knew how to grind it out, you know, get the shot, move on, get the shot, move on. But you're right, Angelo, that like, yeah, he absolutely trusted actors. And that's why actors loved him. Jim, you know, uh, Dean said something uh, uh, earlier with regard to no curtains, no strings, nowhere to hide. We can do that in wrestling. We can improvise on the fly. If you're in front of a camera or you're on a stage and you uh, go up on your line, as the, the term they use, to go up, uh, you forget what you're supposed to do, in other words, and you start to improvise, is it readily noticeable to the audience? Do they even care? The crew you're working with, your fellow actors, obviously know that you're in trouble. Right. I'm going to give you a famous example. Um, But does the audience immediately readily recognize that you're in the danger zone? It, it depends. It depends on. And I, I brought on, you know. that story up and I wanted to ask you that because I want to explore it. Al Pacino was doing Merchant of Venice. 
on the stage. He completely went up on his line. Completely went up. Sure. So we started the soliloquy from Romeo and Juliet. Because it's Shakespeare and written in that cadence, right. no one was any the wiser, including some of the people he was working with. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you just, you know, just I, I was in a show, I'll put it the other way. Yeah. I was in a show where I was the understudy and I watched the cast start to crack up on stage and they were doing it like on a regular basis. I mean, it's like anything else. Sometimes you just mm-hmm. start laughing, but th- it became a thing. Yeah. And they started to like crack up like during, you know, one guy was supposed to be asleep and you know, it was really astonishing to watch these people do this. I, 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 uh, a bunch of them ended up getting fired because of it. Well, it's a whole what was the, the motivation for them to do so? I mean, I don't. I'm not, they were just. I, they were just having a good time. They were all. Oh. Everybody was young. At the, it was a young cast, and everybody was young and having a good time. And some of these guys, this was their first big break, and are making a lot of money for the first yeah. time. And you know. So they were just getting lost, as we all have, and as it's so easy to do. But you know, like, it, yeah, oh, it was sorry, just bizarre. But the point is, I had theater friends who came to see it and were like, yeah, that was a weird thing when the guys were like laughing in that sleeping scene. Uh, it was a strange choice. I'm like, it wasn't a choice. These guys were fucking around. You know, yeah. it, it, it upset me a lot because I thought, look, this is like, these. this was not a an obscure little theater somewhere. People were paying hefty money. It for sounds these tickets. to me, Jim, and I want to bring Nikki in. Dan, just bear with me for a minute. Indulge me for a minute. I want to sure. bring Nikki in. Because you're, ta- you're talking about something that sounds like a bunch of people just being bored with the same routine. Yeah. Okay. Now, Nikita, something interesting happens between, uh, it happens in wrestling that also happens in theater. On the loop or on the circuit, you know, you may do the same match 15, 20 times, sometimes 30 times. You may have to do that same match. How do you, and in your case, you had Nikolai Volkov, who you managed and worked with. How do you, and how did you get Nikolai to see every match as fresh and new and different when in actuality he may have been, you know, wrestling Tony Gurria or Bruno on the same circuit for 10, 15 times. It kind of flows on its own. All right. Especially when you're that good and you've got that much experience, it will come out. Ending's going to come out the same, but to get to that, end of that trip, you're going to take a couple different turns here and there. But when you know what you're doing, you know what you're doing. Now, see, Jim, like what you were saying, that when people, and it happens in wrestling too, uh, I, I'm not going to say too many things about what went on with people screwing around. Like one of the old stories is uh, Nikolai, or, yeah, Tito Santana had an abdominal stretch on Nikolai, and Kowalski's the referee, and he says, I ain't going to say what the word is, but he says, do you eat blank? And, you know, they start laughing. And it's like, mm-hmm. holy mackerel. It's like, <laughs> you're not supposed to be laughing, but they're having fun, you know? And it's like, because 
ask him, ask him, you know, and it's like, because that's what we do, Jimmy. You say, ask him, he tell, holler to the referee. So he's, they ask him that age-old question, and everybody starts laughing. It's like, holy mackerel, man. But well, uh, you know, I and and that's funny that you you said that, Nikki. You, you know, uh, in theater, the director is uh, normally backstage or uh, in the pit or somewhere keeping an eye on everything. In wrestling, the director is in the ring. We call him the referee. Uh, you know, right. um, Nikki, explain to Jim how the referee works as a director and how he coordinates the uh, the action in a ring to get to that predetermined finish. I see a lot of times when people think you had, oh, you get a script that you follow, maybe today, but years ago you didn't. A lot of times you go out there, you don't know what's going on. The referee does. And, he, and you're up there and pretending you're arguing. He's telling you how things are going to end or vice versa. Sometimes he's been out there all night and he don't know like what the hell's going on. So you pretend you're arguing and you tell him, okay, he's going to do this and then he's going to do that. Okay, got it. Boom. One, two, three. But the referee, he's watching too to make sure you're doing what you guys are supposed to be doing so you look right too and you got everything flowing. Okay, because yeah. he's right there. He he's going to be just like the dialogue coach. And that's why something when people say, "Yeah, hey, acting is so," it's like, no, it's not. <laughs> I mean, theater's tough, but film they got the dialogue coach, the director telling, "All right, I like that." Well, now Jim, try it like this. Try it like you just had a hernia pull, right. you know. But well, right. now now try it like you just stepped on a hot ash, and it's like. Geez, okay, you know how many times the poor editor he's going to be pulling his ears off with for these. Yeah, stars. and the and the, the and this is so interesting. And the other thing is though that that in uh, when you're in front of a camera, you're on a set. You what you do not have that vibe that 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 conversation that goes on in live performance between the audience and the performance. That flow, yes, you know, and yes. so that to me. You know, look, there are people who, you know, are brilliant film actors who couldn't do a play in a million years and vice versa. And I was really more, uh, you know, I did stuff in front of the camera. I had some things I did that I thought were okay, but like I never thought that the best of my work happened in front of a camera. I think I'm a live performer by my blood in my nature, you know, let me throw something at you, Jim, because you, <laughs> you said something important and, and Nikki's uh, tied right into it. And I, I want to start with you first, Jim, and then have Nikki. And then I'm going to throw it to Dan for a while. Um, is there a fundamental difference? You've done uh, episodic television. You've done film. Is there a fundamental difference in a acting style, acting technique, is there a difference in pacing, how you pace yourself, how you prepare yourself? It, what, what is the difference, if any, exists between episodic television, something like Dark Shadows, which was episodic, against something like, say, like The Frighteners uh, that you also did? Well, I mean, there is where it does maybe cross over with wrestling a little bit, which is that, like, in episodic television, if you're a regular you're assumed to know what you're doing. The directors will kind of come and go after the first, the pilot where they kind of establish this is what this, how this is going to generally be, you know, uh, you're, you're, 
you're assumed to be like the world's leading authority on your character. So you're kind of carrying that. And the director is really mostly concerned with like where the camera is and like how's this shot fit together with the last couple shots, et cetera. So that's that. But then, you know, in the Frighteners or like in a movie, you're only playing this character once. So, it, it, you know, it's different in that way. And the other thing about that, whether it's TV or a movie, it's about the camera. And, you know, really, for me, it was just like realizing, oh, and it took me years to figure this out. I had the stunning realization, oh, like the camera is the audience. Okay. So if they're, you know, if the camera's like this close to me, as sometimes it can be, that means you can talk like this. You can talk really, really quietly because that camera, it like they are going to be right there. You know, you don't have to fill up a space with energy and sound and movement mm -hmm. and all that stuff. But, you know, theater is is just totally different. I guess, uh, like, you know, look, if I really felt I ever figured out acting in front of the camera, this would be a very different interview. <laughs> well, you know, Jim, just to, before I, I, I throw it over to, to Nikita, you said something on the last show that stuck with me. You've done television. You've done film theater. Theater, you, it, it, just like wrestling, theater, your audience is right there. Your audience is right there. You can see them. You can make eye contact with them. Yeah. Does that play in at all to your psyche, to your, to your, uh, the way you act, what you're doing? Does it, can it, as it happens in wrestling, can it throw you off? Can it, uh, direct you into doing something that you're not intended to do? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I remember I was doing, I've done two one man shows that I also wrote. And the first one, this guy was in this really out of the way little theater in New York. And this guy came to see it. It was like, I, I knew this guy and I'd worked with him, but I didn't like him. I didn't see him. I'm like, why is this guy even here? He sat in the front row. And I mean, that was about three feet from where I was standing and he proceeded to fall asleep. And it was just like, at one point I looked out there and I was just like, all right, well, I guess that's why you came here. So, you know, it's, a, it's he a needed weird... a nap. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it was, I think, I think his shrink could have uh, maybe explained it to him, but I think that, uh, <laughs> I think it was like a little bit of a territorial thing and it's like, whatever, man. But you know, that's the trick I think. And I'm not sure where this crosses over with wrestling, but you got to take in that the audience, but by the same token, if it becomes all about them, you can lose what you're there to do. Yeah. But now Nikita, let me throw it to you because here's the interesting dichotomy in professional wrestling. Our job is to directly look at the audience mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. to evoke from them yeah. the hate that lies within, especially <laughs> if you are Nikita Brezhnikov and Nikolai Volkov, the uh, dreaded Russian heels, you know, walk, uh, walk me through that, brother. First, I'm going to digress to what Jim was saying. Digress away, a, my dear friend. I got a big mouth. 
So but yeah. my biggest problem was on film, they said, quiet. They can't oh, yeah. you got that theater voice, quiet. It's like, shit, I keep forgetting. I got the mic here. I got right. that. It's like, man, the sound guy, you gave them a headache. And then uh, <laughs> I had to learn how to calm down because one time we're filming a scene and I'm giving the emphasis. I'm hitting down on the desk after each statement. So finally, the dialogue coach, he comes up and I said, what's going on? What's the matter? She says, every time you hit the fucking desk, you're killing the sound. And, the <laughs> and I go, oh, OK, I got you. All right. I didn't know that. OK, so then I just, you know, went like that. And then yeah. I went like, Oh, that's beautiful. We yeah. can move on now. So it, it, you get a, a rhythm and you learn with that rhythm and then boom, then you can move on. Now, uh, your question, Angelo, with yes, sir. wrestling, what, uh, what we see, I'm going to say, we, we put ourselves in it and I'm going to touch you, Jim. One of my heroes, what I, I did study for acting, was Stanislavski, of course, mm -hmm. with my Russian background. <laughs> and his thing was always put a little bit of humor in things. Not three mm -hmm. stooges, who I love. Yeah, yeah. A little humor is always good. It'll draw people. It'll make, it'll click. It'll be somewhat, uh, not chaotic, but it will be iconic. And it's like, hey, just go with it. Throw a little comedy in there. And we would do that with wrestling once in a while. Mm -hmm. And that would make people think it's like, well, gee, they're not perfect. And they're a lot like me. And I, I can say that from a fan's perspective, Jim, because that's how we all start. And that's Absolutely. when my book was written as a fan and what it yeah. meant at that time. Yeah, yeah. It's like, wow, that's what touched us. And I think as actors... If people can't relate to you like a wrestling character now, like me, I was a big fan of Adam West as Batman. Okay. Growing up. Yeah. I was a kid and here he is. And it was like, wow. But then when you meet the man and it's just like, Hey, I'm doing a job, man, you know? Yeah. And then over the years, when you talk to somebody like a chief J Strongo and I relate stories to him on what it meant, what he was doing, it's like, I was just doing my job, you know? But it's like, but you spoke to me when they did the interviews and you said, I need you to come there because I got this tough match and I don't think I can do it. It's like, hey, he needs me there. Chief needs me to be there. And I would be at the <laughs> arena, you know, it's like I can't do much except clap and hoop it up for him. But it it speaks to the people. And I think as an actor, that's your job. If you don't touch somebody, then yeah. you got the paycheck. But guess what? You didn't score, man. The greatest compliment I ever received as an actor, and I received many, was uh, this guy came up to me after a play and he said, I know a guy exactly like that. And I was exactly. like, wow, thank you. Very good. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, sir. The next 24 minutes belong to you, my friend. Go for it. <laughs> Jim, I was hoping to expand on something. Uh, you, last time you were on, you told us a story about Saturday Night Live. And you, you were talking about the, the earlier, the, the actors cracking up. I was hoping we could touch on how things evolve. In, in wrestling, we, we've had guests on, and, and they've talked to stories, that the idea of keeping kayfabe, keeping it real. Yeah. Um, there's there's performers today, some of whom are, are mainstream big names. Their entire gimmick, their entire character is that wrestling is fake. And yeah. 
and it's evolved. And and I want to go back to Saturday Night Live because I remember, um, I have like I said, I've touched on the last show. I have friends that are a lot, a couple of friends that are actors. And when when Jimmy Fallon was on Saturday Night Live, his quirk was he always broke character and he was always staring at the camera. Right. And I knew, I had purists like acting purists that thought that was like that's a disgrace. He's the worst yeah. cast member we've ever seen. And yeah. some people that loved it, they said that 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 made some of the scenes so much better, so much funnier. So I was wondering if if that carries over the same logic in wrestling over time, characters evolve uh, almost mm. m- more so like a shadow of what the audience wants. And it's the same thing in acting. There's quirks. And character traits that you see in actors today that 20 years ago would have gotten the beat up in the alley outside of the audition. So like I'm wondering what? if you, what's that? Like what? Like well, what? Like I was, I was just using the example with with uh, Jimmy Fallon staring at the camera. Yeah, you know, but I it, mean in wrestling, what would be the equivalent of that in wrestling? Oh well, that's what I was just talking about. We have there's characters in wrestling that that their entire gimmick is wrestling is fake. That they yeah. say that they say yeah. that explicitly. Well, yeah, what they, they, sort they of, sure yes. Do. But Absolutely. what they'll do is they'll have like yeah. okay, um, there's a there's a, a character now. He's not he's even a not couple. even kidding. Yeah, these they, guys I'll, I'll like use, these guys two, like have like. Two, well, what I'll, what I'll do is, is Jim. Jim, I give you two two quick examples. You have one whose name. Hold on, hold on, Dan. Oh wait a minute, hang on. The, the, yeah, their whole gimmick is predicated upon the the, the notion that they're exposing right. the business. It uh-huh. and for whatever reason, and I don't know how they're doing it. I don't know what psychology they're using to get away with it. But the people are buying it. Well, here's what I'll say. I mean, there's a kind of equivalent. There's a kind of equivalent. Like, okay, you know the actor Crispin Glover? Sure. Okay, so he was in Back to the Future. He was the father. Right. And, you know, he doesn't work a lot, a lot. But there was a kind of thing in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. Nicolas Cage kind of did this for in Peggy Sue Got Married. It's these kind of performances where it's like it's so over the top. Yeah. That it's like, dude, are you even – trying to be a real person or are you like you know what what are you do i don't know what you are doing in your head but you're in a different movie from everybody else here yeah i'm actually glad i'm actually (laughs) glad you mentioned that because that's going to lead into my next question something that comes up on this show a lot is the idea of over over in wrestling being popularity and something Angelo always likes to ask the guests, and we've had a lot of conversations about it, is the difference in getting over and being over. Being over. I'm curious, <laughs> as far as acting, because I'm glad you mentioned that. That was going to be my next narrative. In acting, there's a fine line between being talented and being good. And I was wondering if you could shed the light on that. Uh, uh, so a lot of this is a question of taste. And like, so you, all right, go back to Saturday Night Live. You have people who love watching Jimmy Fallon crack up and they're tuning in every week to watch when he's going to crack up. And uh, a generation before it was Carol Burnett with uh, Harvey Corman and Tim Conway, right? Even as it, but so then there's people who love that and love it today. Even as a 10 year old kid watching Tim Conway crack up, I'd be like, isn't this guy getting paid? <laughs> Does, isn't he, is he get paid? Like, well, why is he like this is like is he supposed to like not be laughing and like say the words they wrote to me and then watching these guys in this play later on 
you know, honestly, I thought I've never seen anybody show such contempt for their audience. And, you know, I, I, I you know, I, again, I think there's people who like that kind of thing. And to me, you know, I think Jimmy Fallon's great doing his goofy stuff on The Tonight Show. But by me, Will Ferrell is the guy to look at on Saturday Night Live because there's complete dedication, total focus, every single sketch, every single year, every single show. He is he's an amazing hitter. Uh, uh, and some of the women, too. Um, Kristen Wiig, same thing. Mm -hmm. Always 100 percent in it. That's what I that's my taste. That's the thing I try to do when I did this, you know. It's the thing I try to do now as a teacher and a coach. It's like, I, I'm not interested in irony and like this postmodern, like, come on, you know? Again, I think the worst thing that a performer can do is, is display contempt for their audience. Well, Jim, is, is huh. it contempt? You, you know, is it contempt or is it the performer acknowledging the commonality between he and his audience. Look, uh, you know, I'm a big Shakespeare fan. And like, you know, you look at the, you've seen the Globe Theater, the way the conditions under which Shakespeare and these plays were performed. They mm -hmm. didn't even, they wore the equivalent of modern dress right. all the time. And if they were doing a Roman play, they'd put it like a blanket over one shoulder, but they were still wearing the equivalent of their street clothes. Yeah. And boys play girls because of the morality of the time that everybody knew it was just to play and it was fake. Yeah. But it is. But everybody participates in this willing suspension of disbelief because it's a lie that reveals a deeper truth. And that's Stop I mean, right not to get there, too Mr. philosophical, Fife. but that's what it's about. Stop right there, Mr. Fife. You said something that I say a lot on this show. Nikita Brezhnikov, <laughs> a term that you and I are very, very familiar with, the willing suspension of disbelief. Right. Yes. That's the essence of yes. pro wrestling. Daniel, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. I'm not accustomed to doing right. that. Right, yeah, break your heart. <laughs> <laughs> Nikki, there's the tie-in. It took me uh, 22 minutes. There's the tie-in. I want it okay because Daniel, I'm gonna I'm gonna set this up for you and then, but I'm not gonna give you the blow off. You got to find that. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna set this up for you, kid, because I'm good like that. Nikki, let's talk about that. There's the tie-in: wrestling theater, wrestling film, wrestling television. There is the tie-in: the willing suspension of disbelief. Are we so jaded? that we've forgotten how to be an audience, Jim? Uh, I don't think so, no. No, no. Go ahead, Nikki. And the thing of it is, you don't want to hear, why am I watching this shit? Because then it's like, you lost them. You didn't mm -hmm. do your job because there's something called aesthetic distance. Whether you're doing a, a framing of a picture, a shot, you can put it together. But if you just did a painting and somebody walks by and they say, oh, yeah, that looks nice. But if they stop and they're like, wow, look at that scene, you've captivated them. And that's what we do as actors, performers in wrestling. If you don't make people want to jump through that screen and say, I want to punch that son of a bitch in the face. Look what he just did to her. 
Or if they, like, again, if they sit there and say, man, what time is this shit over? What I, I, let's go eat. It's like, come on, man. Yeah, exactly. This is what it's all about. Bringing them people in with you. Right. And wrestling, we, we walk the fine line because sometimes they come into the damn ring. But <laughs> yeah, he's, he's not kidding. <laughs> sure he's not, not kidding for movies And even theater, it's like, man, you want that audience in tears or you want to hear them laugh. I mean, it's like, wow. And it's not just, you know, you want them to buy tickets for money. It's like, uh, that means, hey, what we did meant something to somebody. Because right. a lot of times... You know, Jim, what we rely on is our personal experiences to put forth whatever character we are doing. And it's like, yeah, man, I can relate to what what this part is. And, man, I'm going to reach back to when I was a kid and when things were shitty. And I'm going to put it out in this guy's character now, you know. Jim, watch this. Nikki, watch this. Daniel. Yes, sir. Get yourself over. (laughs) Going, going to uh, you, Jim. You mentioned you got eighteen minutes. <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned the suspension of disbelief. What I was talking about earlier with the characters who act, you know, their entire gimmick is that wrestling is fake. It goes to, and I was, I want to talk to you about this with movies. Is if I, you know, if, if I watch somebody and you beat a giant, okay, I can believe maybe the little guy had the power. But if your gimmick is you have a, a finger poke that that knocks people out or a, a super powerful penis or something which is both real by the way uh, yeah. there's no way I can't accept that even knowing what I know about wrestling it's the same thing in film <laughs> if I watch a movie you know I, I get that, that dragons aren't real I get that sometimes villains are going to have terrible aim but if I watch a movie and every five minutes there's some super one in a trillion coincidence that keeps the heroes alive yeah. it, it it stops making sense yeah. and, and the narrative gets hurt I can't enjoy the story you're trying to tell me because it is so obviously fake. I want your opinion on that because in order to get to that level of disbelief no longer mattering, you are you have to believe that your audience either doesn't care or is no longer smart enough to understand the story you're trying to tell. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, or or you know, you're just uh, you know, things go in and out of uh, fashion within any kind of a form that lasts a long time, you're going to have these like, it's just like what happens with religions. They kind of go along and then there's a group that goes, well, we think it's this. And then it kind of splits and then you get, you know, and then it splits again and splits again. And, you know, you get these kind of uh, uh, movements, you know, like within, within, uh, you know, I I love uh, rock music, you know, and rock music, you get like, all right, you get the Beatles, but then a few years later that splits kind of into Others more like psychedelic rock, progressive rock. But then there's also, nope, we're fog hat. We're going to just play loud chords and scream and yell. So you just, things start to kind of become these like, like niches or little Mm -hmm. slots or sub genres, you know, and it's like, I don't know, did any of these guys who were like bringing their magic penises to the, the wrestling, uh, Arena, are, are like, do they have whole match, like whole evenings of just these kinds of people, or no. are they sprinkled in as like, well, here's something that, weird. That actually depends on which show you're watching. Well, yeah, we should also point out that Mr. Magic Penis was also indicted on sexual assault charges. But yeah, yeah, who 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 would have with, thought a, yeah. a guy whose entire character is getting people to touch his dick against their will was a sex offender? What a fucking shock! <laughs> no, Jim, that was an, a rarity. They were glad died on the fucking vine and right. they put the tree. Uh, 
that, Jim, speaking. I'll tell you. There, oh, I'm sorry, Nikki. Go ahead. Timers. They, they some old timers. They there were those turning over in their graves, and the ones that were still alive, they were foaming at the mouth. They couldn't stand it. It's like this is an atrocity. Right. Somebody was making money on it. Okay, that's all the case. But in the end, it's like it doesn't yeah. belong here. And like the thing is, not. you know, it's going to last and become its own sort of little thing, or it's not. And it sounds like more the latter than the former. Yeah. Well, let me let me ask you something else, Jim. We were talking about uh, the 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 you mentioned the changes, things flow. I'm curious. It's something I was hoping to get your thoughts on last show, and, and now it's kind of an opening for it. Is with social media, with the narrative, you mentioned how things change and, and th- moods change. There's been a, a, I mean, it's been around since the beginning with politics and other things, but in recent years, social media has allowed it. A lot of, of actors, Hollywood, TV, some wrestling, some elsewhere, performers, you get in front of a camera and somehow you tend to think your opinion is more important than someone who's not doing what you do for a living. And right. I'm curious, what is it about, because you mentioned la- or pre, uh, on the last show that you ended up getting because of the, 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 the atmosphere that surrounded Hollywood and whatnot. I'm curious, what is it about being able to get in front of a camera and play a character that brings out that level of arrogance or maybe attracts the kind of people who think they're better than someone else? I don't think it necessarily attracts anybody that thinks they're better than anybody else. I just think that, you know, look, in any any arena, uh, of, I don't mean a literal arena, you know, anything where people get a lot of money, attention, or there's the potential to get a lot of money and attention. You know, the old joke is like, the riddle is like, how do you make a man an asshole? Give him a microphone. And so like, you know, uh, uh, really, it, it's like, you know, it's just like, it's just like, I have the attention. So here's what I'm going to say, you know. Um, and, and, you know, this is, and now everybody has, everybody has the microphone of social media. So everybody, you know, we're in a radical experiment with the, the, the limits, whatever limits there may be of the first amendment, you know, right. And that's, that's what we got. Nikki, as someone who's followed from the beginning, have you seen, or maybe you can shed some insight too on the wrestling side. Uh, has there been a, a larger push uh, with those type of people that that maybe want to use a platform or are using wrestling as a stepping stone for get, being able to ha- let people know themselves? Angela and I talked about that before, where you and we've had people that, that run wrestling schools that have told the story where people are getting into the wrestling business to get famous oh, and make money, a, yeah. and not because yeah. they like not because they love the business. You know, yeah. the, half the talent today would never have taken driven 300 miles for 20 bucks. You know, uh Oh yeah. So so I'm kind of hoping you guys could could shed light on that is is as it's become easier in the era of social media to get famous. Do you think the quality of people and I mean that not among talent, I mean personality quality has declined? Well, Nikolai used to have a great saying, bullshit could get you to the top, but it cannot keep you there. And if you see these overnight sensations because they did something on YouTube or some goofy bullshit or reality show, that's not talent. You're just lucky to be lucky bastard, the right place at the right time. And you were a big enough jackass that some other hundred jackasses thought it was great. That's not talent. Talent is going to be when a studio gets behind you and say, you got to look. You have an ability. 
here's a big contract because we believe in you to the point where we're putting our money in you. Not we're just going to let some asshole run with something stupid and see how long it will go because we got to fill a certain time slot because we got so many time slots to fill. And with wrestling, it's the same thing. If you think you're going to get out there and be a jackass like we were discussing earlier, well, there may be some promoters that need that, but no, they're not going to give you 10 minutes, Jack. You're out the door. Go ahead, Daniel. Um, well, the, I mean, going with that narrative, Jim, does that have you seen the same or maybe in your experience, especially now because you, you do more classes, um, have you seen that where where you kind of have that reality star mentality of like, you know, people that want the big break or are hoping for that oh, one yeah. YouTube moment? Yeah. Uh, viral, excuse me, viral moment before. You know, versus maybe ten years ago, where people were actually more interested in the business and less, in- and and fame would come naturally. Well, you know, I never taught an acting class where somebody didn't ask me how they could get an agent, and I'm like, really? Yeah, you know, look, you're That's a very nice person, and you work at the post office or whatever, but it's like, how do you get an agent? Develop your skill to the point where when somebody sees you do something, they will want to sign you up. That's how you get an agent, you know, know, but we've always said we've I'm sorry. No, I was going to say it's it's actually something that we've discussed on the show with regards to the the direct tie in to wrestling. It's and that's why I said you really the first thing they want to know is how to get an agent. We had a guy here named Doc Diamond, a trainer, Hall of Fame trainer. He said he's had students their first day, their first day, who come in and say, when can I get a belt? Dan, am I making yep, this up? No, no, they, they, they walk in the front door and, and they, they want to know what their big move's going to be, when they're going to be their first title win. I'm not making this up. Yeah, but, you know, it, there's this thing, you know, uh, uh, okay. I keep having I keep having conversations on this show that I never thought I would have. And here's the the latest one. Uh, one of the things I've had to teach is the uh, the Norse epic, the Norse British epic Beowulf. OK, it's one of the first literary classics in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so. But in ba- the, the point I'm making is in Beowulf, this is a, do- a document that comes from before Christian times. And so what are they all about? Yeah, they want to go to, you know, their version of heaven and feast with the gods. But what they're really about is fame. And so what I'm saying is this is before TV. This is before any media. Fame was what you left behind. The stories of what a great warrior you were. You killed these guys. And you're, you know, and there's these long things in there about I am the son of Ragnar. And he was the son of Gunhild. And we crushed the skulls of these guys. And it's all about a rep. You're going to leave behind this, this myth, you know. So modern fame was invented kind of around you know, like the theater had stars and, you know, there were always stars. And then the movie business in like the early 20th century really invented this idea of movie stars, controlled access to them very carefully, groom their images, you know, and like all that kind of stuff. Um, But I guess what I'm saying is I think the more things change, the more they stay the same. There's always this desire for fame. And I think it's linked to some feeling that that somehow makes you immortal or something. 
You know, Nikita, Jim just said something that I think you and I can relate to because uh, we experienced this being our age. Um, controlled access. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there was a time when our heroes were not accessible except either on television or in person. Now, anybody with a Facebook, Twitter, Instagram can connect instantly to pretty much any world leader, figure, actor, singer, dancer, comic, whatever, at the stroke of a button. You know, back in the day, Bruno Sammartino was revered. He was inaccessible. You had to pay to see Bruno. Right. Today, you know, take the biggest star in the world. They're doing freebies on uh, on YouTube. Yeah. On Skype, mm -hmm. they're doing what I mean, whatever. You know, I mean, they, and, and Jim, you kind of, you, you kind of perked up when I when I brought that. Go ahead, Dan. I was going to say that there the uh, cameo, the entire existence of anybody with a few bucks can pay any exactly. any famous person to say and do whatever they want. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can pay to get the uh, you know Dwayne you know Dwayne the Rock Johnson to, to, for fifty bucks. He'll say happy birthday to you. <laughs> you know right. now that brings up another point though when you yeah, talk about accessible when you gotta work and jim when you're on set and i'm gonna go back to robert altman when he was doing combat they had lee marvin do a guest spot you got lee marvin and vic morrow in a, an episode <laughs> wow. it's like wow but look at the other guys like I jack hogan jack hogan a great actor and uh, Dick Peabody, all these other great actors, but they got to blend in with the scenery and they got to let these two shine. And that's a talent in itself. And the same thing in wrestling. If you get in the ring with Nikolai, I mean, many nights there were kids that he would work with. It would be like, and, and what we say is blow up, Jim, where they'd be like exhausted. And the match just started. Nikolai's like, what's wrong with you? And it's like, I, well, I never worked with somebody like you before. It's like, just do your thing. Don't worry about nothing. But the same thing with acting. You're in there with one of the all-time greats. Mm -hmm. and, and it kind of hit back with the Munsters, where they said when uh, Ivan DiCarlo came on, you know, Fred Gwynn and Al Lewis are like, what the hell? You know, <laughs> Ivan DiCarlo. But it was like, she was cool. She yeah. was very nice. And it was yeah. like, oh, great. This is going to work itself out real well. And it yeah. did. And Jim, that's, what that's an interesting point that Nikki brings up. Nikki, stay right there with that. That's okay. an interesting point that uh, he brings up. Dan, explore the, the notion of uh, working with someone uh, that you thought would be a pain in the ass that turned out to be pretty cool. Well, I mean, um, we've we've had guests on. We've talked about, especially in, uh, and, and uh, Nikita can vouch for this, is sometimes you end up working with somebody you've never wrestled before. And you hear some stories, you know, a lot of locker room talk. And next thing you know, you're in the ring and they're working, they're helping, they're talking. It's like, holy crap, you know, and, and, uh, Jim, I'm sure you've seen it. You, you, you get some rumblings, you know, about a particular actor or actress that might be a pain in the ass and they show up on set and you're like, I have no idea what these people are talking about. This was, you know, she was nice or he was great or whatever. And it's funny because the, the rolls back to what we were talking about with exposure is 
having worked uh, for years now doing liaisons for conventions, you you hear stories about celebrities, and then you meet them at a convention, or you got to work with them to set up, you know, their their autograph booth or whatever, and they're nice, they're great. And it's like, wait a minute, everybody I know has complained about this guy and he's fine or, or vice versa. Like I've heard, you know, nothing but good things. And it's like, man, it's, I must have, you know, bad coffee this morning or something because this this lady's a bitch, you know. Uh, and so I'm wondering if, you, if, if that particular idea, is it more prevalent in television or uh, where, like Nikki said, where you have the rotating set of, you mentioned actors and directors and people coming and going or – is it maybe more prevalent in film where you're going to be together for a while and you kind of develop that bond? Uh, I, I really couldn't say that, that no, I wouldn't say it's any different in either of those. I, I worked with some people who were really famous and were really, I, I would, the overwhelming majority, 99.999% were just great. And really it's like, you know, you clap eyes on somebody. There's the difference between the rep and the person. And you just meet somebody and it's like, yeah, there you are. Here I am. Let's let's do this. And most of the people I worked with, like, again, overwhelming majority were just great. Did I meet some people who were maybe in a really bad moment in their lives? I did, you know, but I'm not going to name their names. And I wouldn't want anybody talking about, you know, I, I know there's been people who met me. At like a bad moment of my life, not professionally, but like you know, just in life. And I thought that person must think I'm the guy that showed up that day. And I was I was a wreck that I was in a terrible place. I just had this going on or this fight I had with my wife or whatever it is, you know. So so you're always just meeting people. You know, I'm sorry I can not give can't give you any big like, you know, great stories or whatever on that end. But really, the most of the people I met were really well that's great. okay jim because nikita's here and he's going to name names because we do <laughs> nikki somebody that uh that whose rep uh, reputation precedes them in the business someone you thought was going to be a prick that turned out to be a nice nice guy to work with i never had it i i really? never had any everybody Boy, you get lucky holy shit everybody <laughs> was always and i've said it before when I was an abused child, horribly, Jim, psychology-wise, my father used to use horrible names physically. Wrestling saved me. Then when I got into the door, I'm the luckiest son of a bitch on the face of the earth. I never thought it would happen. It just did. They were great to me again. They opened up their arm. Instead of saying, learn on your own kid or, you know, that's your problem. Uh, you know, if you break your arm, tough shit. They were all great. Everybody was always great. It, well, okay, you hear the different stories, Ange, about, uh, you know, this guy does that, this guy does that. I never saw it. Maybe it was because I was with Nikolai and people were a little bit yeah. more than Well, I mean, you know, let's be honest, Nikki. You know, Nikolai was uh, an imposing figure. At yeah, he could six, crush you with no problem. At but six I'll foot you, six, it, 340 pounds, he's a big dude. <laughs> it, that brings up a different a little bit different, but same topic. Working with people that are trying to get seen, they figure, Jim, you know, well, if I perform in Good front point. of you, if I jump up and down like my ass is on fire, Jim Fry is going to remember me. Fife is going to remember me, and he's going to go back and tell the producers to hire me. And it's like, I don't have that power. Please stop. Yeah. I can't do anything for you. Yeah, yeah. But you're working together. Do the job, and let's get out of here. That's it. 
no, Jim no. invariably. Jim is there. Oh, I got to be great. I got to be. Oh, you know, uh, there, that didn't happen. That really didn't happen that often, but it did happen a couple of times. And it was more like, just like, you know, look, man, I, I, I am barely scraping my, you know, holding on to my bottom rung show business position at the moment. So you're hap- welcome to climb up my back <laughs> if you think that's going to do something for you. But I don't think it will. So, yeah, I, yeah. It's, well, we, uh, you know, in wrestling, we say that and, a, and five bucks will get you lunch, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it, it is funny. It's back to what we were talking about, about the first day of wrestling coaching or the first day of, uh, you know, an acting class. Like, yeah, I get famous. It's like, you know, everybody wants to get famous and rich, you know, and uh, all that stuff. But like, you know, it doesn't it. Sometimes it just happens. I honestly always I've felt more sorry for the people who made it really big, really young than. Yeah, I've always felt bad for those people because it's like, man, I know you probably don't have the inner equipment to handle what's happening to you right now. And you are going to make all kinds of assumptions, you know, so uh, luckily I didn't have that problem. Go ahead, Daniel. Well, I mean, Jim's right, you know, and not not literally, well, unfortunately, literally sometimes, but the career lifespan of a youth actor is very short for that reason. And it's, right. it, you know, the, the they can't handle the mentality of the meat grinder. It's the same thing a- a- Angelo and Nikki will tell you, you see in wrestling, you get that, that 18, 19-year-old kid that makes it big. And by 22, 23, he's washed out because of the attitude backstage. They they don't develop the mentality they need to survive the business. Right. Not the maturity level is not there. Exactly. You're going to make mistakes and you got to know how to handle it when you make a mistake. And if you're inexperienced and you just that young and naive, you are going to either melt down or implode. It's just not going to work out for you. Well, we've seen it in in, uh, in in show business time and time again. Look at uh, people like uh, Dana Plato, uh, uh, Gary Coleman, uh, th- and they're from the same show, incidentally. Um, mm-hmm. You know, both of them going way too soon, way too soon. Um, uh, Aaron Moran, Happy Days. Um, mm-hmm. Young, Freddie Prinze took a gun to his head. You know, that kind of pressure is... You know, I don't know if it's the pressure or the money in the pressure, Jim. Well, Jim, what yeah, is but it? It's is also, it the, I think it's is also, it the money or is it the pressure, Jim? Well, it's also. It, I don't think it's. Uh, it can be a, a lot of those things, but those things, you know, you can't. Uh, uh, I don't know. I think that. I think that who your family is and where they are coming from. I mean, for a kid, because like I know uh, Cynthia Nixon. I did a bunch of stuff with her. I think I've worked with Cynthia Nixon more than any other actor I ever worked with. And, mm-hmm. you know, she she was a kid actor. And, you know, her, she said her thing was uh, her mother was, you know, really rock solid. So she had a really, I think, you know, her parents were divorced, but she really primarily grew up with her mother. Her mother was rock solid. They were New York people. And she said, I would go to L.A. and work but I always came back and I never went there because when you, when you're a New York actor and you go to LA, you, what they'll, they'll say is like, well, you, you know, if you really want to do this out here, you got to come live here. 
You got to come live here and be here and be right here all the time and be here. And, and I did it. And, you know, I did it for eight years, but she never did. And she's somebody who has worked consistently, has had great success, but she had a she had a solid core and there were very clear values for her. Yeah. And even though she was working all the time through a like, I mean, from the age eight or something like that. So I do think it's kind of like we talked about another actor last week who had, you know, just ended up in horrible circumstances. That, that's a person who might have ended up there anyway. If, yeah. if the, you know what I mean? So is, sure. it a cruel, is it a cruel business? It is a, biz, is a cruel business. But really, all businesses are cruel sooner or later because it's you're selling or you're not. And and, you know, in the end, that's just like, you know, that's going to affect everybody. Nikita, Dan mentioned something earlier. I want you to expound on it. Maybe, uh, you know, uh, kind of analyze this. He said that we uh, we put so much importance on the celebrity factor. Uh, we as a, a consuming public, we put a lot of uh, emphasis on the on the importance of celebrity. Like we like we for whatever reason think that. Uh, if Kim Kardashian says X, Y, and Z, well, it must be true and she must be right because she's a celebrity and she knows what she's talking about. We have that assumption that celebrities are important for whatever reason. Talk to me about... How do I want to put this, Jim? Um, talk to me about the the level, the significance... Good word. The significance uh, that Daniel, I'm going to smack you. The, that we, the significance uh, of the weight by which we put on our celebrity culture here. Um, are we entrusting Hollywood, a television, and film with with too much of our life? Yes, we we used to. I don't know about so much now, but I know we did. It was important to us. Mm-hmm. That's why when you had three damn networks, CBS, ABC, and NBC, yeah, was that's all you needed, and you kept sure. it people, and you got so much of a share every night of this one and that one. But like again, what Robert Altman in Combat, Vic Morrow, hey, he carried himself. Everybody wanted to be like the Sarge, so you had to be careful with what you're would say in public something mm-hmm. back then smoking was okay it's as it started to digress to the point of it's not healthy then all of a sudden you don't want to be smoking in public because now you have become that figure and now you're a bad example to kids and it's like well okay but yeah we did I'm, your fashion well what is the famous actresses wearing Actors, you know, people mm-hmm. want to imitate them. Like when the Batman craze was going on in the 60s, people had hairstyles <laughs> centered around Batman at that time. Sure. It was like, <laughs> that was our cult. That's part of our culture, our art. And what is arts? Entertainment, right? Whether it's TV, movies, music, that's part mm-hmm. of us. That's uh, each... I'm going to say each generation has its own degree of artistic representation. So, yeah, mm-hmm. our people in Hollywood and yep. on the stage, the stage uh, doesn't carry as much because I remember 
right after 9-11, I had met, uh, I, I was in uh, Michigan doing something, and Sheila McRae was there. And mm-hmm. she said, to the best things people can do right now is go to the theater, because we really need to come back from this uh, monetary drought that we were in, because everybody was closed up at home out of fear. And right. it's like, yeah, you know, but uh, when I say to people, hey, I met Sheila McRae, they don't know her as much as if I said I met Audrey Meadows, who played Ralph's wife on television, you know, yeah. it's, it's a kind of a funny thing. But in regards to that, Ernest Borgnine brought it out one time. I seen an interview he did. And he said, uh, this kid uh, come to the door, he's selling candy bars. And he's like, uh, OK, he opens the door. He says, yeah, I'll take a couple, Sonny. And uh, he said, I got my two Oscars in the back there. He says, uh, agent had just approached him about doing McHale's Navy. That's where this is leading to. I saw it when he was doing a background for McHale's Navy. And yeah. he's like, uh, I was like, I don't want to do that silly nonsense. I don't want to be involved in TV. So anyway, the kid's buying the candy bars. And he's like, uh, OK, Sonny. And it's kind of like, hey, do you know who I am? But the kid had no clue. He says, right. Well, you know, I, I was in the, this movie and that movie and like, I got nothing. But he knew James Arness from Gunsmoke, <laughs> you know, other people. Yeah, from funny. It's like, okay, let me pick up the phone. He said, hey, I'll take it. Put me on television because these Oscars don't mean anything. You got to be on TV for the kids to know who the hell you are. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, Nikki, that you told that story because Dan and I actually heard a similar story from Stephen Plim, who, uh, remember that, Dan? We were yes, talking sir. about the Ray Peterson you want to you want to tell the our audience that story? Uh, well, I thought you were going with where he talked about the the network when the laugh in. I thought that's where you were going with that. No, no. Uh, Ray Peterson did. Uh, he was a singer back in the sixties. He did the Wonder of You, right? Uh, Karina, Karina. Um, uh, oh God, what was that other one? Tell Laura I love her. So he he's in his mid sixties at the point. 62, 63 years old, making a comeback. Stephen Plim, a former guest on the show, is handling him as an agent manager. So he gets him a couple of gigs, takes him to a shoe store uh, to get, you know, shoes made and you know, get, get his wardrobe and stage outfits made. So he takes him to get some shoes fit. Uh, sitting there, young clerk, 18, 19 years old, she's trying different shoes with him and he starts giving her a hard time and he utters those famous words Jim do you know who I am and she says no I don't I don't care I know you're a pain in my ass (laughs) and that moment it was a wake-up call to him that he was no longer the famous Ray Peterson of days gone by right um it's interesting because I last night I had Rico Costantino on the show, uh, who went from making two million dollars a year to now he's uh, he's out of the business and you know making substantially less, but he's still making a decent income. But I read this last night and it ties into what we were talking about. The United States has become a place where entertainers, professional athletes, and uh, a, a politician. Ah, Professional athletes, entertainers, and politicians are mistaken for people of importance. I've needed a doctor. I've needed a teacher. I need farmers every day. I need truck drivers every day. I've needed an auto mechanic, a plumber, a house painter, 
a police officer, and everyday people. But I have never, not once, ever needed a pro athlete, media personality, or Hollywood entertainer for anything. And that's the gist of it. That's the long and short of the truth of the matter. But we as a society place an incredible amount of importance because you're on television or because you're on a a grand stage. People equate that with importance. So, Daniel, take the precipice of that question or comment and roll with it. Well, I mean, it's funny you grouped entertainers and politicians into the same category because not not taking a side in the field. But if, if if America didn't put the importance on celebrity that we did, the current president would never have gotten as far as he did politically. And I think I mean, you have issues with what you're talking about is this narrative of importance where uh parents are raising children to go go get a basketball scholarship no no no, don't 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 worry about the tech school don't i I don't want you to become an electrician a plumber you're gonna you're gonna play baseball or you're gonna act or you're gonna do whatever and that's it and if you're not famous i mean unfortunately you see that geez jim i'm sure you've seen it all the time parents that push children to the brink of god knows what well that's like that's also why somebody can be set up to become a complete wreck when they can lose I say something Jim? yeah and and then I'll then I'll let you continue but in the interest of full disclosure Jim Fife and I both attended the same high school that quite frankly put a quite amount a quite a large amount of significance on and you Jim you noticed to be true on social status on uh, how much money your parents made? Who was your parents? Uh, a, a doctor, a lawyer? I mean, I had I had a class where I had a a U.S. senator's son, a state senator's son, and the assistant coach of the Philadelphia Eagles' daughter in my class. You know, Paul Six was that kind of school. It was it was a, to use the term now. It was an uppity school. That's interesting. That's not my experience of uh, Paul the Six, but you know, it sounds like your class was like definitely particularly full of that kind of people. I mean, okay. I actually saw it the opposite way. My really? first girlfriend was Annette DiRocco, who lived in in uh, Berlin, down by the farmers market, and like you know, that was my experience of like because it was a basically like a regional school almost. It drew kids from all over the place. So I met people that were very different from me, but it wasn't like senators, sons or anything like that. Mm -hmm. There were definitely some people who had, I guess, some money, but certainly like the people that I met there were, you know, not, it wasn't, it wasn't like that for me. But like I say, I think each class is almost like a separate entity in itself, right? I mean, you know, it was interesting because I felt, you know, I felt second class because my father wasn't a senator or a lawyer or a doctor. He was a bartender and worked in a restaurant. Yeah. Well, my dad was a, my dad was a tobacco salesman and my mom worked in the hospital where I was born. So, you know, it wasn't, and and like my friends were all pretty much that way. My, my other buddy, the late lamented uh, Tim Lenahan, a great human being and basketball coach. 
he, uh, you know, his father had some money, clearly, but it wasn't oh, yeah. ostentatious. It certainly, and it certainly wasn't a thing he walked around, you know, making a big deal out of. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, Dan. Well, you know, you, you get into, you talk about the, the status and, and that leads to pressure and that can change things. And we talk about the, Angelo was touching on the importance of work and society. I, I'm hoping you can answer this in, in we, we, we kept going back to things like sports and wrestling and all in, in the sports world. I've written about it before. There's a, a thing in the sports world called the yips. And the yips, I don't know if you've heard of that, heard that yeah. term. It's it's actually based on an, a, wrist in, a wrist injury. But the yips is a term used for whenever an athlete uh, just loses complete ability to do basic fundamental things. A pitcher can no longer throw strikes. A, a quarterback forgets how to throw a spiral. And nine times out of ten, when you have the yips, it's a mental block based on a previous injury. You know, I'm worried about getting hit again so the quarterback doesn't know how to throw the ball. Um, yeah. You know, uh basketball player that, that that's worried about injuring his leg again can't do a jump shot anymore that kind of thing um it, a lot of people blame the yips for what happened to tiger woods during his stint after his uh, legal battles where right. he failed to win anything and ma- relate major in golf for a couple of years um yeah. i'm curious if you if you have anything like that that translates to hollywood from the pressure you have maybe a talented actor who has a bad break or a bad moment. And now all of a sudden they can't remember lines or they can't get placements. Right. Is it, did you have anything like that in Hollywood while we're talking about the breakdowns? Well, I certainly saw it on stage and that's just, that is exactly like an athlete because on stage you got to remember lines. And if you can't, mm-hmm. you can't. And, and you get to the point I've seen people get to the point where they can't do it anymore. And it is, a tragic thing to witness. It really, really is because yeah. they're, they're trying, you know, um, uh, I worked with this one lady who I think, you know, she was older when I worked with her, but my guess is she probably never could remember lines too well, but she yeah. was so, she was so kind of charming that it was like, it was like a wrestling match because you really never knew what the hell she was going to say next. <laughs> so everybody was super alert. And like ready for anything yeah. because she would say this crazy stuff. But it somehow. Jim, worked. are you familiar with Uta Hagen? Well, I know the name. It's uh, I know her book. Okay. You know. Yeah, she. You, what, the the person that you're talking about reminds me of Uta Hagen because she built a career that way. Yeah. Yeah, and and opened up a successful acting school it's and sure. wrote many books. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Stella Adler was the same. <laughs> really? Honestly, God. Yeah. Stella Adler was the same. I, I'm, uh, I'm kind of an acting junkie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to let that out now. I'm coming out of the closet. Well, uh, the questions you, know, you ask uh, tip tip that off because your questions are usually very insightful. Thank you. I, I really, you know, one of my uh, one of my favorite things is, and Dan will tell you, and and Nikita will tell you, is psychology what mm-hmm. makes something work i'm like the the guy that takes the the rolex apart to see why it's special and then puts it back together and has extra pieces but it still works right i'm that guy <laughs> i i want to i want to find out what makes things tick nikki right. um as we wind down Summarize for me, or something like summarize. Summarize for me the uh, connection between 
wrestling and acting in a, in a, a few words? Catharsis. <clears throat> That's why I disagree with what somebody said that, you know, I never needed an actor or never needed an athlete. You do. Without that entertainment value, the world becomes a very dark place, right. a very ugly place. You need levity. You need entertainment. Sports, if you find it that way. Some people, you know, they, they love uh, the acting aspect, and they, they don't like sports, and vice versa. So yeah. are important. We've and got that- to be there. We've got to deliver so that mom and pop America can just say, you know, let me take this hat off this aggravation, this stress, and put it down yes. and be entertained. Let me enjoy myself for 60 well, minutes. And, and yeah. I'm, I want to thank you for saying that because I'm surprised that all of you didn't jump all over that when I said it. You know, uh, if you... It if is you, kind of hard to break in on you, Angelo, just to <laughs> say... I'm sorry. Just gonna just gonna float that out there, Jim. Here's a little. Let secret. me put it. In, let me put it a more positive, pos- positive way, Angelo. When you're discoursing, it's so magical, it's so wonderful. I don't want to push into that. I don't want to pop that 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 bubble of fantasticness. How <laughs> how could I deprive the world, your viewers, your fans, Dan, a young man who you're bringing along out of the goodness of your heart? How could I how could I deny that by rudely elbowing my way into <laughs> your well, almost three million downloads later, <laughs> 139 <laughs> platforms worldwide? You know, exactly. The numbers speak for themselves. Stations, eight radio stations and 139 podcast platforms. We're doing something right. Exactly. Right. There you go. Are you going to be with me Tuesday, Dan? Let me me reveal something to Jim. Now, I'm a retired detective sergeant from Baltimore Police, as well as these other things. So I I wasn't there. I didn't do it. Do it. I had nothing (laughs) to do with it. You look like the guy. I was going to say those three things. I I want you to repeat this sentence. You look like the guy. But anyway, (laughs) I didn't take offense at that statement. And they say, you know, I needed a policeman, but I never needed an actor or an athlete. But you do. Yeah, do and that's and thank you because Nikki, I was hoping that somebody would jump all over that. I mean, if you think about the what the way it's written, you know, it says, you know, I've needed an auto mechanic, I've needed a painter, a police, you know, police officer, but I've never, not once, ever needed a pro athlete, media personality, or Hollywood entertainer for anything. Well, the truth of the matter is. Yeah, you do. You need all of the above for lots of different things. So, and I wanted to make sure that you understood where that was coming from. Yes. You know, and and I'm surprised. I'm really surprised, especially you, Dan, being the smartest guy in the room. I gave you again. Uh, uh, well, the if, second if, week in a row. If, See, this if is I why may, I do uh, what I do, Jim. I opened up the floodgates for the smartest man in the room. And he took a giant fart on it yet again, two weeks in a row. Well, two two things. One, you, you you sit here and you say, I've opened up the floodgates. But as Jim said, you know, your your floodgates are more of a trickle when it comes to me being able to speak. I'm but the, uh, the, 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 the second thing, I didn't jump on that because while I understand Nikki's point, I actually agree with the key tone of it. You know, you're right. You do need entertainment. But 
the the person who wrote that is talking about life or death or you know yes you you need entertainment but w- well, what you know I don't I don't have a heart attack and scream for a football player I do need well, entertainment no, natural, but just, but if you if you I mean look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs watching sports is nowhere near the top the people who right, can provide sure. you with food and protection they're 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 the ones that are important I, I think, don't you know think Dan we have to we we've got to insert you know at least some modicum level of common sense into that as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, nobody's going to fall over from a heart attack and say, you know, get me, you know, uh, Ben Casey, Reginald, you know, whoever, or, right. uh, Cal Ripken or whatever. I'm not a sports guy. So you, that's pretty clear. No, I, I get um, what you're saying, but that's why I'm a I wrestling guy, but I'm not a sports guy. But no, the, I, I disagree with the, I, I don't disagree with the, essence of it i do disagree however it is absolutely critical that uh politicians police entertainers uh pro athletes all of these people are essential to the the overall tone of life it's flavor you know it's it's not were it not for all of the above no. we you know there would be vanilla and chocolate and maybe not even those two choices, you know? And there's a lot of mental disease out there. There's a lot of depression, loneliness. Yeah. They count on that. Believe it or not, weekly they would turn in. That is somebody's salvation. Well, oh, yeah. Man. And I think, look, I think it's, it, like I said, I think the, the idea of fame, it goes back, you know, all the way. As soon as people started writing stuff down, they were like, hey, write my name down so I'll be remembered forever, you know? D- there, there is that desire for fame, but there's also, I think, in the part of, the, you know, there's, there's every day, there's yeah. every day, Wednesday, Tuesday, it's raining, you get up, you did that, you're kind of just like everyday life. And then there's these heightened moments, holiday, right? Holiday and every day. And the holiday, that heightened life. I mean, like, you know, when I, when I saw you know, as a, a kid is saw like the Beatles on TV, like it was like they were like magical people from a different universe mm-hmm. or yeah. like, you know, the, the Marvel comics and stuff. It, it was this heightened reality, you know, yeah. and and it's just like wrestling. It isn't reality. The fans know it. But they want it to be a heightened reality, like a special reality, yeah. reality with the boring parts taken out, exactly. you know, and so. So there's always going to be that need. And whether somebody wants to be a celebrity and cultivates that or somehow, you know, Shakespeare, again, some are born great, some achieve greatness, some have greatness thrust upon them. You know, you get the spotlight. Various people do various things with it. Some people can't survive it because they have been taught since they were little kids by parents who couldn't separate themselves from their child get the spotlight this is your entire worth Mm -hmm. you know and so so you know there is always going to be that in human nature i will say this though we are not meant to live in that heightened reality we aren't we are meant to live and and love ourselves each other and the world in the everyday while appreciating the value that that height thing has to give us but i think when we try to live in that that is you know it's a fine line between i'm really reaching for an aspiration to achieve something great but uh, also understanding that we are all you know feet of clay 
And that's the end of my sermon for this week. Thank you. Well, and a lot of that ties into what you brought up earlier. It's a, you know, it's that fine line between the willing suspension of disbelief and the need to believe. Yeah, that's right. You know, and that's the essence of pro wrestling. And that's why, you know, as bad as the wrestling product is today, Nikita, people are still watching it because they're looking for that escape. You know, they want to believe, but they can't. That's why in our day and again, the book, when it was real, we wanted to believe and they let us believe. It's like, don't be stupid. Don't don't insult the audience. Don't go out there and make an ass out of them. Go give them what they want. And that's what they did. And I think that's with a lot of movies. If you don't insult our intelligence or sometimes it's funny, like the Three Stooges. Women yeah. hate the three stooges, and it's like <laughs> I, it's, they're not called the three intellects. Hint, hint, they're the three stooges. They're supposed that, to be goofy and happy, exactly. You know? and it's like exactly you know, just you go with it, go laugh your ass off, and have a exactly. good time. Don't sit there and analyze it. The people that analyze things sometimes, oh. it's like you, you just. You're going to become constipated. That's all. That's all. Yeah, that. we've had we've had some guests like that, right, Dan? <laughs> yes, that's actually the way I am when I watch certain movies, though. So, Daniel, yes, sir. How about a word from our sponsor? Oh, oh man, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> well, usually there's there's some kind of a transition, and I'm I'm. Scratching at the bit here uh, We talked about you know pressure and, and and everything And what ends up happening is Just sometimes you know you get under the spotlight You, you sweat you, you you break down and, and the important Thing is that you got to be able to take care of the Two most important things for any man and that's The worst part of uncomfortable sweating And that is of course uh, where our friends at Manscaped.com come from, Manscaped.com covers the greatest supplier of man trimming needs. The Lawnmower 3.0 is the leading uh, manscaping product. They currently in a bundle package, including a deodorant spray. They have a, a series of refreshing wipes now that are also good. And I'm saying this as a user of their products, not as just a pitch man. Uh, best products out there. You can go to Manscaped.com. Use promo code WrestlingFuture. That's promo code WrestlingFuture for a generous 20% discount on all packages and products they sell. Manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. And so will we. On that note, <laughs> huzzah! <laughs> Dan the man, Sebastiano, the smartest guy in the room, the happy haberdasher. For Jim Fife, JimFife.com. For Nikita Brezhnikov, when it was real, the book, when it was real, available from Crowbar Press. I am Angelo DiCipio. Join us each and every Tuesday and Thursday as we. Wrestle with the future. Take care, everybody. Goodbye. We'll see you then. <laughs>